Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The words for our encouragement this morning are taken from Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. We'll read the various verses during the message. I'd like to share with you just the first and the last verse. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God's word. A big issue in the world today and in the presidential campaign is each man's economic plan. It seems that the the idea is that we will vote mostly on the basis of which man's plan we think will have the greatest chance of helping our economy. Or, or maybe specifically, which man's plan has the greatest chance of helping me personally? Now, as most of you know, I don't talk politics. I would never, from the front of church, take one political party or plan. But in this comp- case, I am compelled to take sides on an economic plan. And you can quote me on this. Trust God's plan. Including trust his economic plan. For you see, that platform is for great gain. For this platform, this economic plan to work, though, Paul says we need to understand that godliness is essential. The Apostle Paul writes about God's economic plan and reminds Timothy and each of us. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. What he's saying is that any true or worthwhile gain in this life is only worthwhile if it is accompanied by a true and lasting relationship with Jesus. I repeat, any true and worthwhile gain in this life is only worthwhile if it is accompanied with a true and lasting relationship with Jesus. Godliness is not just acting in a God-pleasing way. It's acting in a God-pleasing way out of thankfulness for a God who has made it possible, made a way for each of us to be, to be a part of his uh, economic plan, if you will, to be a part of his spiritual plan, to be a part of his family of stockholders, believers in this plan, this plan for great spiritual gain. For you see, we were born impoverished, slaves of a corrupt and devious devil. We were willingly invested all of our thoughts and our words and our actions in his sinful industries and ambitions. We were spiritually brainwashed to believe that anything and everything that the other party, God, would say or think or propose was ridiculous, especially a so-called plan economic plan through Jesus. 
but God so wanted each one of us to receive the benefits of this plan and everyone else that he developed his own plan. But first, for us to be included, we needed to be changed. We needed to be converted. We needed to be won over. So God the Father included in his ticket his very own son, Jesus Christ. Although he knew full well about the future price to pay. See, Jesus' life of service was not just good. It was perfect. He never did the wrong thing or the right thing with wrong motives. He told the truth, no matter whether the press would like it or not. And oh yes, he took babies in his arms and blessed them. But he never changed his story or, or slanted it, depending whether there was a major fundraiser in the uh, crowd or not. He truly cared about the poor and the needy. And he did something about it. He warned about the dangers of riches and riled the rich and famous and influential to the point where they had him arrested and put to death in a very inhumane way, death on the cross. But all these things were part of God's spiritual plan for our great gain, so that by his suffering and death he may pay for our sins and Timothy's sins and all the readers, and really pay for everyone's sins. And when Jesus rose from the dead, that was God's proclamation that this platform worked and always would work. So trust God's plans, his spiritual plans and his economic plans. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So to godliness with contentment added, that makes a winning combination. Contentment defined by my trusty Webster as happy with what one has or is, not desiring something more or different, satisfied. Happy enough. I mean, satisfied with what you have and who you are, with a strong and growing trust in Jesus Christ. That's great gain. For those of you with problems with this concept of contentment, being satisfied with what you have and who you are, Paul reminds us of one of the cold realities of this world. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Or as Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I depart. You can't take it with you. Understanding, of course, Everyone needs the basic necessities. Paul writes, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I mean, obviously, if you or your family has nothing to eat or, or to drink and are starving, if you don't have enough clothes to keep you, you warm or, or some kind of a, of a roof over your head for protection from the elements, there is no contentment with that. Though being satisfied with 
who we are and what we have? Maybe some of you have been there. I mean, in that kind of need. I never have. Now, I didn't grow up in a rich or affluent family, but I never remember a time when I was in such great need that my life was in danger. But I want to share with you a story about someone I think was in in that kind of need. We'll call his name David. He was at a school called Bethany Lutheran College at the same time I was um, in the early 80s. We both were studying, at the time, Hebrew and Greek, preparing to be pastors. Our church body is called the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And that school was a school of uh, the ELS called the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, and we are in fellowship. We have common beliefs that they do. A number of members of uh, apostles, even though some sitting here today have attended that particular school. Well, this young man came from a very difficult background. Both of his parents were alcoholics and divorced. He also said he was a recovering alcoholic. He had nothing to his name except the clothes on his back and those that would fit into one of these like army duffel bag things with a rope on top. That's all he had. He had no car. He had no home to go to. He had virtually nothing. After I got to know him a little bit and and talked to him and he shared this story with me, I said, well, I don't get it. I mean, at that time in the 1980s, this uh, small private college still cost about $10,000. He had nothing. How was he going to make it? And I asked him, well, how do you think you're going to make it here? And he told me that he trusted that God would provide. And I thought that was the silliest thing I've ever heard, right? God is going to provide. In that situation, he never complained. He never felt sorry for himself. And I said, well, what if God doesn't provide? Drop something out of heaven. He says, well, then, if God wants me to study to be a pastor, he'll provide. If he doesn't, I'll, I'll do something else. You know what? During the two years that I was there, every time tuition uh, or room and board uh, was uh, required to be paid, money would show up. Somebody who heard about him from his home church or heard about his situation would send money to the school. If I wasn't there, I would not have believed it. God took care of his needs for those two years and the years after that, and I think he's still a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Synod till this day. Wow, did I learn something there, right? Indeed, God provides. Whether it comes from somebody I know or not, or some, some idea that I already have conceived in my mind how he's going to provide, it is the Lord God who provides for us. And we still have that same Lord God who wants to provide and will provide for you. And what he says is, trust me. 
Trust my economic plan. And if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Truly, godliness with contentment is great gain. For those of you who may be thinking that this contentment is still highly overrated, and perhaps each of our sinful natures thinks the same, pause a few words for us concerning often the greatest challenge. I call it the so-called 1% of the population and the wannabes. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Note Paul is not condemning people whom God has blessed and given the ability to deal with riches. But he strongly warns against those wannabes, people who want to get rich. Because Satan has laid a multitude of traps. See any of those traps lately? Maybe underneath that new car you're looking at, but you can never afford, really? Or, or next to that large screen TV that fits just perfectly on your wall, but doesn't fit into your budget at all. Or maybe that nice, nice dress in the window. I mean, obviously, you and I would never fall for those you know, foolish and harmful desires or at least or dream of having more things than, than, than God would provide. Well, that's not true, is it? We're susceptible for that also. So Paul continues with his warnings about the devastating danger of money. He says, for the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. First and foremost, if you heard with your ears that money is the root of all kinds of evil, clean out your ears. That's not what Paul said. Money is like most other, every other thing we have, right? It can be used for good and can be used for evil. It is not sinful to be rich. What's dangerous, though, at any level of this economic plan is a love of money. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Love him above all other things. But just because our, much of our money has imprinted in God we trust, that is not the God that we are supposed to trust in. Love of money is the root that feeds all kinds of evil. Always has and always will. I mean, those eager for money have fallen into Satan's deadly trap, whose goal for them is not happiness or joy, but to have them wander from the faith and be pierced with many griefs. Dear friends, Paul urges you be different. Follow God's plan. And he, he gives us part of that plan to follow. 
Paul says, but you, man, for us people of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Not sit and look at those things that we cannot afford that God doesn't want us to have, but flee. Put those track shoes on and get out of there. Follow the things that God has given to us that are good for us. Strive for righteousness, that right relationship with God. That godliness that he'd been talking about. Faith, that this trust in one who has always been there for us and has always taken care of us. The kind of love that he has for us and the love that he, he gives to us to share with others. Seek, pursue endurance. Because you know as well as I, maybe better than I, that there are things in this life you're going to have to endure. Job did. King David did. Jesus himself did. And so will we. But do that with gentleness. We're going to fight. Whether you like it or not, we're in a fight. And Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. How are you going to do that? Well, that's what God's word is all about. That's why we study God's words. That's the encouragement to get into a small group so you can talk about the struggles and the fights that you are having and let God and the others encourage you and strengthen you and support you and equip you for that fight. And finally, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God has not called you to spend an eternity with Satan, but to spend eternity with him. You've been called, you have been enlightened, you have been baptized. You receive that encouragement when you kneel before the altar or stand by that line there and receive Christ's true body and blood. Take hold of it. Grab hold on to it. Never let it go because God never wants to let go of you. That's God's will for all of us. Look to God's word. Trust in his plans that make it all possible, including his economic plan for you. Remember, with Christ, godliness with contentment is great gain. Always has been true, always will be. God promises. Amen.